Thank you, Case. You pray with me. Lord, I just want to reiterate Brian's prayer. We are ready. God, right now in this moment, I ask that by your spirit, all the distractions, all the lies that the enemy is trying to throw at us, that by your power, you would connect us We'd open up the eyes of our hearts, we would see truth. We would eat of your grace. I ask, Lord, we would walk out. Courage, strengthened, challenged. We would walk out breathing a sigh of belonging. We trust you with this. Let me pray. Amen. As I alluded to earlier, today we're beginning a new seven-week series called the Imago Day. Imago Day, this is a word, a Latin word in scriptures about a theological conviction, a doctrine of the church about what it means to be human. As I was thinking about this series I, and the artwork and how we could illustrate this, I was reminded of the famous creation of Adam painting in the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. If you don't know about this painting, it is, I think, one of the most incredible works of arts I've ever seen. My sister got married in Italy some time ago, and Brianna and I got to go out there, and we got to be in the Sistine Chapel, and Tristan, my oldest son, was with us. He was a baby at the time. And I remember sitting in there and looking at this incredible painting, in particular the, the centerpiece, which is the creation of Adam, and you see God with his finger and Adam, and it's like the moment right before there's this touch. You see this parallelism in the painting where similar images, and, and, and there's this, this, this beauty to it, this power to it. You see God swooping in, and, and Adam is kind of leaning back, and he, and he, he needs this, this support, and he needs this power in his life. I also remember um, something that Tristan could say um, that not a lot of people could say is I remember changing his diaper in the Sistine Chapel. And so, um, Tristan, you can say that you were naked in the Sistine Chapel. Not a lot of people could say that. I believe as we head into this series that this understanding This question of, of what does it mean to be human? Who am I? We call this an existential question. Why do I exist? Is foundational, paramount to our conversations as we look to God's answer to all the different issues that we face today. So today, I want to lay the framework for the next seven weeks by talking about the way to be human. The way to be human. Now, 
Before we look at, what, at Genesis 1 and talk about this worldview, this biblical worldview that we have, it's important to establish that we live in what people say is a time of the modern self, modernity. There's been lots of studies and, and, and sociologists talking about what does it mean to be human in 2022? And there seems to be is a foundational difference between the modern worldview and the biblical worldview that at first seems very similar, but as you look into the nuance of it, I believe is incredibly important to recognize. And when I say the modern worldview, I want you to hear this. This is the air we breathe. This is the, the, the culture and the society that we live in. It is deep inside of us, in our media, in, our, in, our, in the movies that we watch, in the stories that we tell, in the speeches that we give, in the celebrations that we have. Deep within us, we have this modern worldview that is telling us an answer to this existential question of why do I exist? And the modern worldview says this, you are your own. You are your own. You own you. Who you are is important, is unique, and nobody can tell you what you say. Nobody can tell you what you believe. Nobody can tell you how to dress. Nobody can tell you what your gender is. Nobody can tell you who, what, what moral decisions you can make. You are your own. We see this in culture and society. I love, there's this book I've been reading that really helpful, uh, I think has been really helpful to me in this understanding of the modern self by a guy named Alan Noble. He wrote a book called You Are Not Your Own. If you're a reader, I would encourage you to read this. He says this, to be your own and belong to yourself means that the most fundamental truth about existence is that you are responsible for your existence and everything it entails. I am responsible for living a life on purpose of defining my identity, of interpreting meaningful events, of choosing my values, and electing where I belong. If I belong to myself, then I am the only one who can see limits on who I am or what I can do. No one else has the right to define me, to choose my journey in life, or to assume, assure me that I'm okay. I belong to myself. We see this narrative, just go watch the last 20 Disney movies. What is the narrative of our princesses today? I am very familiar with Disney movies. Enchanto, man, so good. Enchanto, and okay, Laura, thanks for the correction. I, I, need, to, I need to get my uh, pronunciation correct. One of our family's favorite is, uh, is Frozen. But listen to the narrative that we sing. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Let it go, let it go. 
I'm one with the wind and sky. Let it go, let it go. You'll never see me cry. Here I stand, here I stay. Let the storm rage on. Nobody? The cold never bothered me anyway, right? We see the narrative and we love these songs. And we, this is, a, it's, it's, remember, this is the air we breathe. You're, you are your own. And we see this in our devices and in our, in our, in our Instagram accounts and in our Facebook accounts or our TikTok or, or, or whatever your poison is. Because, we're, we, because I'm my own, I, I want the world to know who I am. And so I build this, pro, this, this profile and I edit it and I want people to know that, that I, I love this food, that I, that I went on this experience. I want people to see that I went to the happiest place on earth and we had so much fun. I want people to know that I am for this issue, that I am against this issue. I, I want people to know this and it's what's so interesting about this as we have these conversations that I am not my own, part of this is we're still looking for the verification of the world that we've got it figured out. We need that Twitter check mark. We need those likes, we need those comments, we need the world to say, yes, Logan, you are creating a good profile. You are your own, and we validate who you are. And the problem is, the problem is, is this modern worldview is leaving us feeling so anxious, so empty, because we can never stop editing. We can never stop trying to impress, trying to be the person, and we're always in this time of discovery. And I want you to hear this, this is the air we breathe. This is part of who we are in this modern digital age. It's important that we just recognize that this is deep within us. Greg Barnes says this, another book that I would encourage you to read, um, a book called Body and Soul, and very helpful to me. He says this, if we believe in God, that's, a, that's an assumption because the modern self, many of modern People today don't believe in a transcendent God that exists outside of us. Truth is internal. Truth is, is inside of me. It's about who, what I believe. He says, if we believe in God, we've reduced the almighty God to a lunch lady who stands behind the counter and dishes up made-to-order lives. But the great problem with this fantasy is that it forgets that we are mere creatures. Somewhere along the way, we begin to think of ourselves as our own creators. We must establish, before we talk about this biblical worldview, that there is a modern worldview deep within us that is counter to this, that is telling you you own you. And for some of us, we may even have a hard time accepting 
what I'm gonna share with you. That's okay. I think it's important when we have these conversations that we just recognize where people are at. But here at Cornerstone, we are a Bible-confessing church that believes in a transcendent God who does exist outside of ourselves. And who's given us his word that is inerrant, that is, is helpful and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that when it is declared, it will not return void. And in his word, in Genesis 1, we get a biblical worldview that answers this existential question of why do I exist? And the biblical worldview says this, you are not your own. You are not your own. Genesis 1, verse 26 says, as we look at the creation account, this wonderful Hebrew literature that God has given us to help us understand what we believe to be our design, our existence. It's so foundational, says this. God said, let us make man in our image. First, we see a plan. In our existence, there was a plan. God, the, the, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit says, let us make man in our image. We see a plan and we see a pattern. There's a pattern. He says, there's something about our creation, our existence that is patterned after God, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he'll cre he created them. Notice here it's saying male and female. All of us reflect the image of God. So the question is, is what does it mean here in the Hebrew when, the, when, when God is telling us existentially we are created in God's image? What does this mean? This word image, the Hebrew word Salem, we see this word throughout. If you watch the video, I, I encourage you to read yesterday. We sent emails out on Saturdays with kind of a little appetizer for today. I would encourage you when you get those emails to watch those videos. Those are, I believe, super helpful to us in these conversations. This word for Imago Dei, for the image of God, we see in the story of Scripture. It's a representative of him. Who he is, we reflect. In ancient times, when a ruler would come and he would take over a country or a region, what would he do to, to represent his reign and his rule in that place? He would build a statue. And whenever you saw that statue, you would see, oh, that is the emperor's reign. He rules there. And God, in his sovereignty, said, I'm gonna create man in my image and there's gonna be a purpose to them, right? He says, you will have dominion, you will rule. There is a part of that. And ideally, in Genesis chapter one, we're learning that, there, that we are representatives of God himself, and there's implications to that that speak into the, sacredity, the sacredness, the, the sanctity of life itself, because every single life, we believe in our convictions 
the representative of God, as a likeness to him. So at the core, we believe this. What does this mean for our convictions? What does it mean for us to be images of God? Well, we remember in the Ten Commandments, what does God say about images? We are so, our design is so significant, God says, you shall not make any graven image of me because the best representative of me is humanity itself. That's why that that commandment says that. Now, at this moment, maybe there's some tension in you. Said Logan, have you seen the news lately? Or have you seen my child? I have not taught my child to act in this way. I have not told them that it's okay to lie or to punch their sibling in the face or to steal cookies without asking. You're telling me that humanity is created in the image of God and I look on the news and I see this evil and I see this pride and I see this outrage and sometimes I get sick to my stomach at some of the horrible things that humanity can do. How is their image of God there? Well, luckily, the scriptures don't just stop for us in Genesis chapter one. The story continues, and we get answers to this. You see, part of our Imago Dei conviction is we first need to understand the core issue. We've entitled this series, God's Answer to Today's Issues. I believe all of today's issues are rooted in this conviction. And here's the issue. Sin has distorted our way to be human. Sin has distorted our way to be human. We know in Genesis three that mankind fell, that they sinned against God, they ate the forbidden fruit, and ever since then, now hear this, I did not say sin has destroyed, it's distorted. Think of like when you're at the circus and you're looking at like those funny mirrors. This is now what the image of God looks like. And we see this and we see it get warped and, and, and tarnished because of sin itself. And this is a part of our heritage and our confession that we believe that sin, when it entered into the world, had this devastating impact on humanity. Jesus our Lord talked about this. Because many of us today in the modern self would say, how dare you use that three-letter word? It's not sin, it's, it's, it's more of a, like, a, a mistake. That sounds a little better, right? Jesus said this when he was talking about truth. Our Lord says, he was talking to the Jews who had believed in him in John chapter eight, verse 31, and he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And he said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and, and we've never been slaves to anyone. It's just so funny. It's like they didn't read the, the book of Exodus. 
They didn't remember one of the paramount narratives of their heritage. They say, how can you say that we shall be set free? In other words, we own ourselves. We don't need to be free from anything. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is what? Slave to sin. You read this in Romans. A slave to sin. Part of our confession as we recognize that we are not our own, is we have this issue. We have this issue that sin has truly distorted our way to be human. And this is countercultural. We use a word. It's a fun word. I'd encourage you to look it up. Counter-catechesis. Counter-catechesis. Our catechisms we've had throughout for hundreds of years, that the, they're, they're documents that the church has developed in response to things that are happening today. But they're not just response, they're counter. They're counter catechisms, and they start, actually, Christ himself gave us, I believe, the greatest counter catechism, which is in Matthew chapter five, when he was telling his disciples about what it means to be human and what it means to live, and he said, you have heard it said, Remember this? He says, you have heard it said, today says this, but I tell you. He says, you have heard it said, love, you know, hate your enemies. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I tell you, pray for those who persecute you. It's counter-cultural, counter-catechesis. We were having a conversation this week with my daughter Ruth we were talking about our nemesis. Everybody in my family has a nemesis at school. We also call them enemies, okay? People that you don't get along with. We were talking about Matthew 5. And Ruth crosses her hands and just says, I hate my enemies. I did not teach her that. I pray. So then, as any good father would do, I just said, well, open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter five. Not really. But we have in these conversations that Jesus calls us to a way that is counter to even our own deeply distorted ways. And here is our conviction. We understand that there's an itch issue, but notice what I love in this series is I didn't say the answers to today's issues. As we talk about Imago Day, we're not talking about the answers, we're talking about the answer. Because church, the sin has distorted our way to be human, but Christ came to restore our way to be human, okay? Christ came to restore our way to be human. This is our conviction. This is why up here with all these families, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. This is our conviction. This is what we believe to be deep within our souls. This is the answer. In John 8, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's talking about and challenging them and their convictions of what it means to be a slave to sin. Look at what he says here. He goes on, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. I only got one amen going on. What's going on with that? Thank you, brother. We see this. We see this beautiful reclamation, restoration process of God and his image bearers. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I would encourage you to go to Colossians chapter one. I think Paul beautifully illustrates this rescue, restoration plan of Jesus. This will be in your reading plan this week. As you turn there, just a Another uh, commercial here, I would just encourage you, everyone has bookmarks of reading plans. Every week, there's, in those bookmarks, there's some passages to read every day. I would encourage you to read those passages. We're gonna preach through them, talk through them, but we believe in your own devotional time, it's important that you read those and struggle with those passages. All the passages we look at today, you'll be reading this week. In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, Paul writes, he says, he, talking about Jesus, has what? Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. This is the rescue plan, the restoration plan. Why? Why can we say this? Why can we say that Christ is the rescuer? Why can we say that things are different, that he is our Lord and Savior? Keep reading. It says he is what? The image. The image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Going back to the image of God message in Genesis 1, Christ is there, the Son himself. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, look at this good news, look at this answer, church, beloved, reconcile himself to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's the answer. So the question, remember, it goes back to the, you are not your own. See, the existential question is important because we've been asking this question, who am I? And we've been wanting to answer this question in so many different ways, in, 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 in experiences, and in, and, 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 and in our careers, and, and in, in a spouse, in a relationship, and, and, and in these justice missions that we go on, in our political ideologies, and we've been trying to answer this question, who am I, and looking for the validation of others. But hear this, the question is not who am I, it is whose am I? And as we ask this question, it's about a response here. If I ask this question, there's some implications for you and I. And what are the implications? What, if we believe this biblical worldview that says you are not your own, what are the Imago Dei implications? 
This is a question that was asked 500 years ago. There's a university called Heidelberg. And there was a lot of tension in the church on what we believe. There's this man named Luther and Calvin and other churches having these conversations. And out of this, 500 years ago, this beautiful catechism was developed. There's a question that is asked. And in this question, it said this. And as I asked this question, perhaps maybe you feel some angst about who you are. Perhaps maybe you, you feel some, some anguish and some struggle with what it means to be you. Perhaps these last couple years have been really hard. Perhaps you're, you're, you're sick and tired of trying to measure up. Perhaps you're sick and tired of trying to fake it. Question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Put this on the screen, the Heidelberg Catechism. Beloved, what is your only comfort in life and death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He set me free from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. This should be a sigh of relief for the beloved. So as you ask this question, the first response is, I belong to Christ in body and soul. The Imago implications, the Imago Dei implications is, 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 a, is a statement of belonging. I belong to Christ in body and soul. It's important, you talk about body and soul. It's not just saying soul, which many people say, well this soul is more like an eternal thing, and that's about like getting to heaven, and so I'll belong to Christ someday. No, this confession says body and soul. Right now, in this moment, I belong to Christ. So how I live, how I, how I act, how I talk, how I engage is related to this. I belong body and soul. Second, out of my belonging I behold Christ as I follow his ways. If I belong to the transcendent God who exists outside of me, who's given me his word and his ways, part of belonging relates to follow. And I love the word behold. It goes back to this beautiful truth. The catechism goes on, says this. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life. And what does he do? 
He makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Body and soul right now in the moment. To live for him, to follow him. Remember how we talked about this distorted image? Those who confess Christ as Lord and Savior, the Lord is doing something in that image in us. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, other translations say, behold the Lord's glory. What's happening in us as we behold Christ himself? We're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This word, this, this Greek here for transformed is an ongoing truth. The more that I behold Christ, the more that I focus on his work and his ways, he does something in my image, and there's this reconciling, restoring process in my heart, in the image that is within me, that he's doing a work in. That he's doing a work in us. And so, yes, I belong to him, and as I belong to him, I behold him, and as I behold him, he teaches me and tells me, Logan, this is how you should live. Logan, these are the things that you should, you should believe and the ways that you should walk and the convictions that you should have because they're my convictions. And as you do this, the scriptures tell us that people will have questions because it will be different. Because there's an angst and a question in the modern self that says, you need to own yourself. And our confession says I belong to someone, I'm not my own. And as we live this way, hear this church, this is so important as we think about God's answer to today's issues, as we talk about difficult issues like sexual orientation, ethnicity, racism, abortion, the sexual ethic. As we confess that God's ways are different than our ways, hear this, we must be ready, I am ready I love what Brian said, we're ready. I am ready to give the answer with gentleness and respect. In our reading plan, every day we're gonna be reading passages that relate to the issue that we're looking at every week. We're gonna read something and it'll probably be challenging and hard. We're gonna read something about this issue and then we're also gonna read from the life of Christ himself. It is so important that as we think about engaging with today's issues that the posture and the manner with which we engage reflects the image of our Savior. And if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the way that he engaged with folks that were hurting, with folks that were living in sin or folks that were different or, fo or folks that society says they are the less thans. You see so much compassion, you see so much love, you see so much patience in our Lord. And our society says we must be a people of outrage. We must be a people of spewing out statistics and blogs and, 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 and political ideologies and, and Christ says something very different. We are a people of conviction 
But when you look at the way that Christ encountered the issues of the day, it says time and time again he was full of what? Grace and truth. Grace, grace and truth. Two sides of the same coin. Peter writes about this in the church. He's writing to a persecuted church that is countercultural. He says this, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always, church, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you have hope? But do this with gentleness and respect. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Church, hear this as you get on Facebook and think about leaving that message. As you engage with different conversations, you must be keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against the good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We must be a people that are full of grace and truth and gentleness and respect, that do our hardest to divide the word of God, but we follow in the ways of Jesus. We follow in his conversations. And as you think about this, as we engage with these truths, my prayer for you, maybe you would remember these babies up here. Maybe you would remember this truth that says this, my dear friend, it is for you that Christ came. It is for you that he died and conquered death. It is for you that he rose again, though you know little of this little one. Yes, you're a little one. We love because he first loved us. This is the grace upon grace that we experience, the good news of the gospel that we must be ready to share with gentleness and respect and honor. And I just wanna encourage you as we go into our groups and we have these conversations and we have probably more questions than answers. And we also encounter, even in the church, we have different conclusions and different responses to things let us always remember that there is one answer to the issues, is Christ himself. And the more that we behold him, the more that we focus on him, he will transform us into his image. He will do, I believe this with all my heart. And we need to be a people that confess this together, amen? So in a few moments, I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, we're gonna sing a couple songs. We're gonna sing a song called Great Are You, Lord. It says, it's your breath in our lungs. That's a statement, a confession, that we are images of God. And the very breath we breathe is the breath that God has breathed into us. And then we're gonna sing a song called The King of My Heart. A song where the church confesses together, Jesus, you are the king. My hope as we sing these songs that these would be confessions that we are not our own. 
and that we would continue to consider, to consider the rest of a transcendent God who in love, graciousness, created us with purpose. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Lord, thank you for the reminder that we are image bearers, that every person we interact with is an image bearer, a reflection, a representative of you. I pray, Lord. I ask God by your spirit that as we engage in the, in the upcoming weeks and months with some of these very difficult things that are hard to talk about but are important because you give us truth about them, I pray, Lord, that we would always have on our mind the, the truth that every person I interact with is an image bearer. And all of us until glory, God, are a little distorted or a lot distorted. But I pray, God, that we don't miss that. I pray, God, that we would have this tone, your tone of gentleness and respect. I pray, Jesus, that you would be the better word, that you would do the work in us I ask Jesus, our good shepherd, would you lead us gently beside the quiet waters? Lord, I pray in this moment, there may be some that are watching or in this room or struggling with this worldview. I pray, God, that you would do your work of drawing, that you would speak your comfort of belonging and invitation, that you would step into whatever darkness we may feel, that you would be source of living water for we would continue to confess day by day, moment by moment, time after time, that we are a people who deeply believe I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Jesus, Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.